Hey, welcome to the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast with me, Rob Kosberg. Every week, I interview thought leaders and experts who have used the book to grow their income and their impact. So tune in weekly for these interviews so you can learn how to use your own best-selling book and go from hunting for clients and opportunities to instead being the hunted. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. Rob Kosberg here. Uh, excited to bring you a super guest for our Publish, Promote, Profit podcast, Dr. Fern Caslow, or uh, affectionately Dr. K, uh, specializes in working with high-performing leaders, influencers, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and other professionals who want to make exponential leaps in their business and personal success. I love what you say here, Dr. K. You're committed to helping people master their hidden power drivers. I think I want to know a little bit about that <laughs> during this call and help people move past their uh, their perceived limitations and operate in their true power state. Uh, you've been doing this uh, for a number of years, perhaps <laughs> I should say since the 80s. Uh, you've been interviewed by everybody, the New York Times, New York Magazine. You've been on ABC, NBC, published dozens of articles, which is cool, including uh, co-authoring a book on adoption law that the New York Bar uh, worked with you on. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit about that today. And then, of course, you have an upcoming book called The Resistance Paradox. Love that, by the way, and I love that you trademarked it. Very, very smart. Mastering the Hidden Power Drivers of Peak Performance. So, Dr. K, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, we've already had a great discussion. <laughs> Uh, on our dogs and other fun things. And uh, I heard a little bit about, which we'll get to a little bit later, about the adoption law book, which is very, very intriguing because it seemed like it was outside of your wheelhouse. And yet uh, it's cool how it was directly in it. But maybe we could start with what I find intriguing and interesting, which is these hidden power drivers. What does that mean? And what are they? What Give me your magic around that. Okay. So Everybody, you know, I'm sure you know, everybody talks mindset, 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 right? You have to have the right mindset. But mindset is an outcome. It's what you get to. And so it's not like the mat. I do love magic. I love alchemy. But I don't have a magic wand mm. that I can wave and people have the right in terms of what they want mindset. So what we create or don't create is a totally related to our true power state, which is a reflection of our state and the power drivers are what determine it. Okay. Totally determined by our power drivers. Okay. So what are the power drivers, right? The power drivers are our nervous system. Okay. Okay. And entrepreneurs, high achievers, depending on what they do, have different propensities. Okay. That they really want to learn how to work with trauma, how they deal with trauma. So we all have trauma, big and small. It affects us differently. And we can talk a little bit, a little bit later. Entrepreneurs, especially high achievers, have a particular way of dealing with trauma and their nervous system that gets them to a certain point and then stops them. And it really works for them to a point. Interesting. And then if they don't know how to navigate it and deal with these power drivers, it either gets them to be unable to continue growing or they grow, but at a cost, hmm. maybe to their health, their relationships, their joy, um, the freedom that entrepreneurs are all about, freedom and connection. It just blasts that in a way that is not so great. Resistance is another power driver. And that's a huge one for me. Okay. And people are always, you know, we're that just do it culture. Right, Mikey, what took off other than just do it or got milk, right? Just do it. 
And so just do it is not such a great idea. Right. We want to do it, but we don't want to just do it because that's part of this whole resistance paradox. People think resistance is a bad thing. To me, resistance can be your superpower, how you work with it, or your kryptonite. Okay, it really can be either one. And so I want to help people find the gold and use it as their superpower. And it's one of the things we can, I know we, we want to talk a little bit about how I work. Yeah. One of the key, it's not the only one, but a key differentiator for me is that I really work with resistance, work with resistance in a way nobody else does. Can, so can you define that a little? Like I, I, certain things come to my mind when I hear the term resistance, but I don't know if we're defining it. Like I think immediately of like uh, Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art, and and overcoming that resistance to to write, to create art, etc. Is that what you mean, or is there a little bit of a, a differing definition? Okay, so yes and no. Okay. okay, it is what I mean, because that's one of the ways that resistance manifests. But one of the things as you get to know me, I go deeper. So that's what's on the surface. But when I look at somebody's procrastination, their resistance, I always look at what's underneath it, because okay. then you can catapult. You don't just push through it, but you catapult in a way that grows and grows and grows you and your business. So when I look at the resistance, the way we're wired up, entrepreneurs, high achievers especially, they're wired up. They want to make a big difference, have a big influence, have authority, make a lot of money often, not always. And they're still human. So even though they have a higher ability to tolerate risk than most people, ultimately, they're humans that are out for security and safety. So when somebody's resisting and digging their heels in and not doing, we could say, oh, they're sabotaging themselves or they're doing something. And I always say, okay, let's go deeper and see what positive thing they're trying to do in a way that's not serving them. But I always look at the positive thing. And it's one of the things I do with my clients. And I have two, I have two you know, arms to my practice. I have a clinical psychotherapy practice still. And then I have my business mentoring, business strategy, marketing strategy. Cool. So both of those. And so I always look, whichever one it is, it's got that therapist lens. And I look and I see, what are they trying to do? I don't look and say, what are they trying not to do? You know, Well, sometimes what they're trying not to do, but I don't look at it as a negative. Hmm. I always look at what is the thing that they just don't know how to do any better. And one, that unlocks a lot of things within them because people are much more responsive to that. The other is it's a deeper truth. Yeah. And one of the problems in coaching a lot, if I can go there, is that people will come in with a surface problem and it's a real problem and it's plaguing them. And so when I say so surface, I don't mean little. Okay, they come in with a problem and it's compelling and high achievers can be really compelling, right? And they bring it to the coach and they all work on it, work on it, work on it. And a couple of things happen. Maybe they fix it a little bit. Maybe they fix it a lot for a little while, or maybe they don't. And they both agree this is an insurmountable problem. You know, people like to talk about fear being false evidence appearing real. I talk about flaw, false limitations appearing real. Mm. So they both go down that trap. And that's because they're looking at the wrong problem. So it's a real problem and they should attend to it. But you don't get to the one underneath it. Hmm. You can only get so far. So to me, the resistance holds a lot of the keys to that. And right. if you learn to work with that, you open things up, you open the person up, and you unleash momentum and peak potential. I love this uh, conversation because I, I think about the areas of my life where I have resistance. 
and wonder about why they're there. You know, simple things, things that, look, I'm in the book business for crying out loud, and yet writing is challenging. And I always have resistance around creating in that way. So we're all human, right? And so as as you mentioned, high achievers, those that are entrepreneurs, they're still the base human, you know, needs and, and wants and desires. Can you give me some some examples of the underlying things that may occur in resistance. Yeah, absolutely. Like, give me a couple wanna, of specifics. Yeah, and I want to speak to what you just said okay. because one of the things that we learn to do. Fix me, Doctor K. Fix you. Actually, <laughs> I like I don't like to fix it, but like make you even better. Yeah, even better. I okay? love it because I don't like that idea that we're broken. Good, I don't good. Like make me better. Nonsense, right. <laughs> it's like even better. Yeah. So one of the things that high performers are awesome at is taking trauma. And they push it down, they compartmentalize it, or they use it as fuel. Yeah. And they, they're proud of that. In fact, all of us, I say I'm the resistor in chief. Like, I really get this because I'm really good at it. Okay. <laughs> I have a lifetime of it. Um, what we do is we wear it as this badge of honor. And we, like, talk about all the things we've pushed through, right? I have a whole slew of things that I've pushed through, right? And I just, I did it anyway. And I got really successful. And I could give you that whole list, and I didn't really relate to the cost of it. Hmm. So what I want people to do is really shift that paradigm. It really is a whole paradigm shift where you learn not that you get stopped by trauma, but you do something different. It's like rewire, reconnect, release. And it's really different. So we can be even better, right? Most of the people I work with, they're awesome. They're very successful. Right. And we all have our demons, right? And what I want to say to people is slay your demons, not yourself. Hmm. Okay, because we often slay ourselves in the process. To answer your question about what are some of the reasons, okay? So if we look at procrastination, if we look at resistance to writing. So on the one hand, there's an obvious one where we can be protecting that vulnerability, our tender soft spot of being seen and our flaws and all of those things. But other times we're protecting something that we might not think about. For example, we might have a brother or a parent that we don't want to outshine. Hmm. Women do this a lot with men. They don't want to outshine their spouse or their partner. Interesting. In fact, they've been taught that that's not a good thing to do. Marriage isn't going to happen or last very long if you do that. So what happens is it becomes protective to hold yourself back. Hmm. So it looks like it's a bad thing, but you may be very much protecting relationships. Another one that's really more common than people think is that if you get a big successful business, for most people, I mean, a lot of people are saying four-hour work week, but we know Tim Ferriss worked 18 hours a day when he was writing. Exactly. Work I week. say that all the time to people. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I love you, Tim, but that's the truth. We know that while you were doing the four-hour work week, you were doing what most of us do. And you work. You know, I don't mind it. I love what I do. Yeah. I work a lot of hours sometimes, and other times I don't. It's like my hours, right? I get to choose the hours. But so this is really important is to look at what it is that we're trying to protect. Hmm. And we don't look at that. And so once we start to change our relationship with the whole thing, and instead of beating ourselves up, we start to go to an appreciation and say, like, wow, like I just said, I'm the resistor in chief. I am so good at it. I want to really get it because when I get what I'm doing, then I'm opening up choice. Hmm. And Sometimes I can do it on myself. Sometimes I have to reach out to a colleague, to a mentor, to, and I've had years. I mean, nobody goes through as much self-development, self-work as someone who's been a therapist. I mean, decades, right? But you learn to really work with those spots and they can either contract you or they open you. 
And one of the things that I say is that big lessons for big teachers. So a lot of people writing books have had really big challenges and there's a lot of vulnerability. And even though they really want to bring it out and really want to make a difference, there's a lot of things. And one of the things that I know about entrepreneurs is that most of us that are successful have had a lot of issues about being different right? We've had a lot of issues. It has not been comfortable. Hmm. There's a lot of stories about sitting in a funny part in the cafeteria or just not being understood (laughs) or what our family said, right? I mean, you know, my family was about as far from supportive as they could be. Hmm. The only time they weren't is when I had my my kids, they would come to babysit. Hmm. Um, But other than that, if they could have taken it and, you know, put me in the kitchen, I'm not a cook. But if they could have done that, (laughs) they would have done it. Right. So this is what you know, what we're talking about Hmm. is this level of stuff. So you're doing a book, you're doing a book that really is like exposing so much that's important to you, but it's that dance and it's learning how to navigate that dance with the drivers. Yeah. Right. So it's like the trauma, it's the nervous system, the resistance, how we, how we deal with change. Also connection at the base of every single issue, there's a disconnection, no matter what it is. Hmm. It doesn't matter what the problem is, whether it's procrastinating on a book, whether it's you can't grow your business, you can't break a certain milestone, you can't get married, you can't get well, whatever it is, there's a disconnect. Hmm. So once you can change the way you experience it and rewire that and heal the disconnect, then what you can do is totally different. Interesting. Before. You know, you said something that I've heard a lot and I've thought of a lot, and that is that oftentimes entrepreneurs are driven by trauma. There's, you know, uh, maybe some lack or something that traumatized them when they were younger and it's driven them. It could be a bad relationship, et cetera. Again, just things I've read, seen, heard. Is there is there a situation where sometimes the trauma is healed and, and the drive you know, either changes or go goes away, or uh, it just seems like so many big time entrepreneurs. And when I say big time, I'm thinking the Elon Musk's and Jeff Bezos and and those type the of jobs. People. And yeah, yeah, that it doesn't seem like they're necessarily very happy people, and yet are do are doing and have done things that have changed the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense because it's where I live and part of why I'm writing this book. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Okay. It doesn't have to be that way. But but a lot of you're saying something really important because a lot of entrepreneurs are afraid that if they heal the issue or they let go of the anger or they let go of the grief or something, that they won't be as successful. Yeah. So, you know, that Marshall Goldsmith says what got you here won't get you there. I always say what got you here will now hold you back Mm. from getting there. It's way, way deeper than that. And so there's a lot of fear that if I give up the push, if I give up the drive, if I forgive, that's a big one. A lot of times people say, well, I don't want to forgive because if I forgive and I'm successful, it will make it look that like what they did wasn't so bad. Mm. And I don't want to do that. Wow. But I think it's also more complicated because sometimes people can't. I don't think Steve Jobs could do it. Um, I think that there's a lot of those people that you named. They really are stuck. Could they have done it? Could they have done it with somebody that really had some alchemy? Maybe. Maybe it wasn't their path. But I think that idea and trauma doesn't have to be that you were raped, you were assaulted, you were abused. It can be something that you took. One of the things that I deal with in both my therapy and my mentoring is people say things and different people interpret it Hmm. 
Hmm. in different ways. One of my favorite books, not because it's the greatest book on the planet, but is One True Thing, Anna Quinlan's book. And the reason I love that book is because she shares a story of how somebody heard something and how it affected their entire life and the entire life of their family, the relationship with their father Hmm. for years and years and years and years. And it wasn't the real what happened. Mm. So trauma doesn't have to be what actually happened. It can be what we experienced, Mm. what we perceived, what we thought we heard. It doesn't have to be the biggest thing in the world. So you really have hit on something really important. And people that really fight, there's a certain level that they're just digging in. They're not going there. And that's not my client. It's not your client. But I always ask people a question. I ask them if they're resisting, because some people ask, you know, raise a lot of like, they're really tough to work with. And I'll ask them if they're doing that, because they really don't want to change, because change is hard yeah. for a lot of people. Sometimes, sometimes it's also a lot of fun, it's a lot of laughter in my office. So it can be a lot of fun, but it, it's, you know, it's got a lot of challenges. Or are they doing it because they really need help? Yeah. And it's their way of trying to find their way around, their way of trying to ask for help and they're scared or they're angry or they just don't know how to navigate it. And so they're bringing up all these resistances, not because they ultimately don't want it, but because they're protecting that tender soft spot Mm. until they feel helped or safe enough to open and do it a different way. So if they're in that camp, I'm all in with them. Yeah, And it's not about, we learn to do things by willpower, especially as entrepreneurs. Yeah. It's not about willpower. It's about willingness. Hmm. Okay. Willpower burns you out. A lot, well, you know, I mean, lots sure. of them. You only have a limited amount of willpower. I mean, there have been all kinds of scientific tests and studies on it. So, yeah, it's a real muscle. And if you, well, it's funny that you said muscle because I was just going to say to you, Rob, if you think about willpower, feel what happens in your body when you think yeah. about doing something. Yeah. I love our listeners to feel how your body constricts, it tightens yeah, it tenses up. up. My hands do this, right? You can't do that forever. But if you think about willingness, my body started to move. Totally. Right? That's like that's something right. to embrace. Right? You're kind of moving. It's yeah. momentum. It's exciting. So I really help people to cultivate. Let go of the, the working by willpower, which is a challenge. You know, I was really good at it for yeah. a really long time. And move into willingness, mm. which is more challenging to allow yourself to function from there. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. I like the uh, direction of this conversation. It, it, uh, always enjoy like being able to take the knowledge and the truth that someone, you know, uh, clearly that is a master, a hundred thousand hours, right? 10 times the number of hours that you would consider a master of a, of a certain subject and then apply it to stuff even that I'm faced with. And obviously many people that listen are authors and have wanted to complete their book for five years, 10 years. I've talked to people, they've been wanting to do it for 20 years and find themselves stuck, right? Willing, you know, but having those willpower and willingness issues. And to me, stuck is really, I translate it the more, if you're really stuck, but you really want to move through it, the tension is that you're up to something big. You're really making a decision because you don't stand still. So you're growing and your business is growing or you're dying and your business is dying. So those are the really important pivot points. We've used that word a lot since the pandemic. So I hesitate to use it. It's kind of overused now, but it really is a pivot point. It's a sign that you're up to something big and nervousness and excitement in the body can feel the same. Mm, It's good. Good. It's really interesting to choose to use it in one way, but we usually need some help because it can be really 
scary. Uh, talk to me uh, briefly, because I want to ask about the Adoption Law book and then your upcoming book, too. But talk to me briefly about, like, who are your ideal clients? Are you working with, you know, primarily uh, C-suite executives? Are you working with entrepreneurs that, you know, have small businesses? Or And I, I'm sure it could be anybody, but, mm-hmm. you know, you have your own sweet spots, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So my sweet spot. Okay, to be really honest, yeah. okay, my sweet spot is the entrepreneur who's kind of the rebel, the rule breaker, the renegade, who can move quickly, doesn't need a lot of red tape right. to make a change, and um, is a little driven, to be really honest, they're driven. And I don't want to take the drive out of them. What I want to do is help them to use the drive differently. Yeah. So the people who have big, big dreams, big missions, and are action takers, so I'm not the person to work with. And, and I could take that back because if somebody has big dreams within themselves, yes. But I'm not so much about the widget maker. I'm about that person who has a huge mission, a vision, and they want to do something big and they want to get bigger and be the person who's capable of being that person who does it. So it's not so much whether they're C-suite. It's not so much whether they're small business. It's more that person who's open, who's a mover, who's driven, who has a big dream and wants to make things happen and really gets that it's not something that we do. Change is not something we do alone Mm -hmm. to the same depth and willing to go to some of those places that are challenging and um, shift who they are. So that's who the ideal person is. Most people I work with are already pretty successful, but they want to be more. So it's like what you said. It's like not about people who come to me. In my therapy practice, it's a little more of a mix, although I tend to get entrepreneurs there too. Mm. They they tend to sneak in. And that's how my business consulting started, was with patients who were depressed and anxious because they couldn't build their businesses. Mm. So I saw how the two went together. And then I ultimately, because of licensing laws and stuff like that, separated out my clinical practice and working with entrepreneurs who had issues of anxiety, depression, just needing to be who they needed to be to make things happen. Yeah. Love it. Well, uh, that is about most every entrepreneur I know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Except for the reluctant ones. You don't get the reluctant ones either. It's like one of the things I've really learned is the ones who just are about lifestyle. Yeah. I'm not the person for them. Yeah. If they're looking for somebody that's really going to be just about, yeah, have a nice lifestyle, have your dogs, have time to play with your dogs, your kids, travel. But if you're just about that, there are other people yeah. that are better for you to work with. Um, I, I get excited about having more impact by helping impactors to have more impact. Love so it. that's the person that I want to work with. Love it. Good. Good. Well, that's a good segue into uh, the impact that you've had being published in this adoption law book. And on the surface, it just seems like, <laughs> of course, I had to ask you before we even started the podcast. I'm like, what is this really all about? Maybe you could, you know, catch everybody up. How did you become a part of of the book? Why? And how has it led to you know, even though it's clearly not directly in your genre, it's led to like some incredible opportunities for you. Yeah. So I love what you do because I've been around books and publishing my whole career. I've had lots of articles published. I've written forward for books, which has gotten me clients. I've been acknowledged in books. I've been quoted in books. All of those things have gotten me and I'm working on a book, which even just doing that has been amazing. But the adoption book is interesting because while in writing books, we often teach people about niching, right? Really being clear about their niche. Yes. What I do, shattering limitations, creating things that seem to be impossible, um, unleashing 
your peak performance for yourself and your business, that really does go across different things. And I've done it with people with their health, with their relationships. Even when I work in business, I often call like what I call culture hacking is like family therapy in business, right? Yeah. So it's bringing it in different arenas. And so I've done a lot of work in my clinical work. I've had had one of the first holistic health and business centers in the world based in New York City. And so I've worked a lot in the health arena, but I'm also an adoptive mom. Mm. And that, you know, it's a good thing I'm a limitation shatterer. Yeah. Or maybe if I wasn't and I just accepted things. But I have some pretty wild stories about limitations that I shattered in both of my adoptions, things that I was told were impossible to make happen. Wow. And so one of them was if we can go into the, you know, too much information here a little bit, I made milk for two adopted kids having never been pregnant. And it was I don't actually think it's supposed to work that way. Now I'm not an expert. <laughs> it's pretty, the, the gynecologist that delivered my first daughter said, "This is impossible." Well, tell me that, and you just spur me right on. I it's know, like, right? Oh, yeah. Never tell Doctor K that. <laughs> Never, t- or tell me that because that's going to just help me yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. So I made like 75 percent of my daughter's milk supply, which turned out to be miraculous because my first daughter was allergic to everything else, and her throat would close up and she'd blow up like a balloon. So oh if I gosh. couldn't have done that, it would have been, it was just, I can't even tell you what it was like those first, you know, first months of her life. But the, one of the things was that I was adamant about nursing her in the hospital. And so navigating the hospital, dealing with the lawyers, dealing with the dynamics, two things came up that got me invited to write this, to write this chapter in this book on adoption law in the 21st century. One was the fact of how to deal with the hospital and set up a birth plan. Because getting them to agree to allow me to, to nurse my daughter in the hospital was, you know, about as close to impossible as you can get. Mm. The other thing that was very much in line with everything I do in business within ourselves is all about relationship. And adoption is a landmine. And it's a landmine. We, we know it's a landmine for the birth parents, for the adoptive parents. But what we don't often think about is that it's a landmine for the attorneys, mm. As well. So most attorneys in adoption or adoptive kids, they've been adopted, they've adopted a child, they're a sibling of an adopted child. Right. And so they come to the table with their experience, their trauma, and where it fits in the story of what's happening. And lawyers can make or break an adoption, both on the side of the adoptive parent who may walk away or the birth parent who may walk away, may walk away. So being a therapist. And working to me, business, it's all about connection. It's all about relationships. It's all about negotiation, right? Business is negotiation. It's selling um, all of those things. Nothing gets, first of all, you're in a crazy place. I mean, you know, having a baby makes you crazy. Adopting a baby, mm. I promise you, because I've worked with birth, with, with birth parents, people who've had their own biological children and adoption and myself, you get crazier. Okay. <laughs> you get crazier. It is quite because, you know, as a parent, you talk, you already are feeling, am I adequate? Am I good enough? Now sure. here you are. We can do a whole thing about that. I mean, it's really, it's a very complicated, tender time. Yeah. And so it was important to me to write the book, not only so that adoptive parents could have the best beginning for their child. Like I was insisting that my child had just as much right to be nursed in the hospital as any other baby, but also to help the adoptive parent, the lawyer, the biological parent to have the most rich time they can have through this and the baby, because the baby is going to pick up the stress of everybody in that scenario. So the more I could help 
all of those people to work together. I called it the adoption triad. Hmm. The more I'd be making a difference in everybody's life. So it was exactly what I do. It's always about shattering limitations, yeah. healing disconnections, yeah. and really creating. I mean, I had one of the first open adoptions in this country. We just didn't do that back then. And now it's not uncommon to have an adoptive parent present at a birth and stuff like that. Wow. So this was very much, and what's interesting about it is not only did it make a difference in people who used the birth plan, adoptive attorneys who read it and said, wow, this, you know, this really helped me because I didn't think about my own stuff that I was bringing to it. But on the level of being an author, to have a book, the book was reprinted four or five times, to have a book that is published by the New York Bar Association and then reprinted so many times, even though I wasn't working, I did work in adoption some, but it wasn't the biggest part of my career, right. gave me an authority. It just, it was really huge and it's been huge over the years, hmm. even though it's totally, totally different. Yeah. And sometimes people ask me the question, like, what were you doing in an adoption law? There were all these lawyers and you, and right. I think there was another person who did uh, plans about the adoption plans because they drive you crazy as an adoption parent to prove you're good enough, right? So someone else that actually did my home, we call them home studies, right, was in the book as well. But whether it's making a difference, and the book made a difference for people, yeah. lawyers were the ones who really read it and got a deeper understanding. But it also made a difference because when people heard that I did that, it just changed something. And the truth is, it changes something for me. I work with a lot of clients who write books. And having that book, as you know, it's a game changer, If you, yeah. especially if you know how to use it. I mean, if you're not one of those people that just has the books that you gave to your aunt and your uncle right, and your parents, right. And, right? and it sits on their bookshelf. But if you really know how to use it, because if you're not going to use it, then maybe do it for therapy for yourself. Yeah. But yeah. let's be clear about what it is and what it isn't. Yeah. But you're doing it to change the world and change your positioning in the world then the process of writing a book and everything that that from clarifying your thoughts to owning your insecurities to being out there to being vulnerable to stepping up and really going bigger because you really get bigger right when you do this yeah. um are life-changing for authors and you know i don't have to sell that to you because yeah. you know that People talk about books so much about the credibility of having a book that you can give out, you can promote yourself. Sure. But they don't talk so much about the internal state of the journey of how you you must change to complete that book. Yeah. You must change to promote it effectively. And you've got to embody your authority. Yeah. You can't just stand out here. You've got to really stand and take your space in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, there's a couple of things that it does. You're thinking at the deepest level, which is motivating and empowering and uh, gets people to believe in their stuff even more than they did before. But for a lot of people, you know, they have this unconscious magic power. They do things, they've been doing it for so long that, you know, they don't realize what exactly they're doing to create results in other people's lives. So writing the book and like documenting the steps, the process, the the magic there is very powerful for them, for additional courses they can create, for uh, more content that they can put into the world, which of course just further, you know, further builds their profile and credibility. Yeah, it's huge in so many ways. And it's funny because I was listening to one of your podcasts with Steve Napolitano, right? Yeah. And he was talking about that when he had the thought about 
putting all the things he teaches, all the things he does in a book. Right. And, you know, I'm, as I know you are, I'm not one of those people that is like, just write a book, put anything, do it in three hours and you've got a book, you know? <laughs> no. no, it's like value, you know, and you're not going to feel good. People talk about feeling like a fraud. You do one of those books, you're, you're not going to feel good. Right. But what he said was really powerful. And what you just said, when you don't think about what you do, writing a book You've got to get clearer. Yeah. You've got to own what you're doing. You've got to understand what you're doing in a way you can communicate it. And it makes the process more powerful. Yeah. And then just that willingness to just put that out there so more people can take advantage of it. It's a game changer. Yeah. Love it. You know, you uh you said something that reminded me of you know my start in this book career, which bestseller publishing is now 10 years old. But I wrote my first book in 2009 for my financial services company. It was called Life After Debt. And uh, that book did very, very well, became, uh, you know, uh, the number one business book on all of Amazon, Barnes & Noble bestseller, blah, blah, blah. But it actually led to, it had nothing to do with writing books. It led to this entire career and tens of millions of dollars in sales and a thousand plus authors that we've helped and so many cool people that I've gotten to meet. And yet one thing had nothing to do with the other. I I wonder in the, can you think of any cool stories or uh, you even mentioned that you had written forwards for books that got you clients. Like how have people uh, found you as a client or customer through the adoption law or your other stuff? Okay, well, there's a, I have a lot of fun stories. I mean, people have found me. Lawyers have found me mm. um, through the adoption book. People who were just kind of looking at me, Googling me, and then yeah. finding that, it changed how they thought about me. Right, right, but right, right. other things... It puts so, a human face. I mean, it puts, it puts a, a human face, yeah. and it puts a depth, and it puts an expertise. Yeah. And then it's like everything I'm saying becomes more real because, look... At that. Yeah. But there are some fun things like from the forward, I wrote the forward for someone who is a master in healing. Well, one of the things we didn't anticipate was that I would get clients that came to me instead of him. Okay. Because they actually loved, it was like, it was not the intention when he asked me to write it. And he got a lot of clients from it. So yeah. I, I don't feel, he got lots yeah, of clients. Yeah. And I got clients too, because what they liked was when they saw I wrote it, and they saw a little bit about in my little blurb what I did. They started exploring me and said, oh, she does what he does. She's his prime person that he taught, but she does all this other stuff. Yeah. And they would call me and say, can I work with you? Because this sounds really, really cool what you're doing. Nice. But there are fun things. It's like acknowledgments. I got acknowledgments. Um, I had a doctor that I did a lot of work with, and he he was just very, very um, good to me. He was very ahead of his time, and I was ahead of my times. I was talking about mind-body health when it was pretty much voodoo other than psychosomatic illness. <laughs> right, right. And he heard me talking on a his assistant. So this is where when you do stuff, you don't know where it goes. I was on a Saturday morning radio show. His office manager heard me speak and said, you've got to meet her. So he pretty much summoned me to his office yeah. on Park Avenue, and I had just opened my center. And he gave me an office in his Park Avenue office, this huge, gorgeous office for years. He had a very high end, a lot of celebrities, I won't drop names. People used to wait four or five hours wow. to see him. But while they were waiting, as they came in and out, he would put his arm around them or around me. It was not me two days, right? And he would say, you've got to work with Dr. Caslow. And he would write letters on his stationery to all his patients. 
that they had to work with me for different things. And so he would acknowledge me in his books without even telling me. Wow. And people would read the acknowledgments, know who he was, and it would just be like a word, just a little word in there. And it would come up. So not only was he really gracious, and I still to this day have clients that were from him many, many years ago, but it was amazing because just that acknowledgement yeah. was phenomenal. The and power I, a lot of the of written words, yeah. people will quote me yeah. that I've helped that little quote and people will come to me. They say, I saw the quote in so-and-so's book. Yeah. And so the power of that is huge. And, you know, what you said about people you met, I'm writing a book now on the resistance paradox and the hidden power drivers. And so I'm interviewing high achieving entrepreneurs. So even though I've spent, you know, decades interviewing and working with them, it's different when they come to you when they're stuck than when they're at different stages. So I'm actually seeing things that I didn't see in the office in the same way. It's been really very cool. But the people that I'm meeting and the people that they're introducing me to, So as soon as you tell people you're writing a book on certain subjects, whatever that subject is for you, if the person is a potential client or a resource for media or whatever it is, it just changes things on the spot. So I've been meeting amazing people. I've been getting amazing opportunities, invitations for podcasts, all kinds of things by virtue of me doing interviews. I hope you'll let me interview you. Private interviews with people because I want to hear the stories that they might not want to tell, in, you know, in public. Yeah. Uh, so it's been amazing. So writing a book from the very beginning of the process all the way through, even though I've got so much experience and so much work, it's changing me. Yeah. I can feel it. And the book is a little bit of a surprise as it's evolving. How so despite that? all my experience in the arena, it's, it's, it's like a living thing of its own in a lot of ways. Very cool. When can we expect it? I'm not sure because it's one of the things generally I've done my writing before and I've said, here's when it's happening. Here's when it's due. I'm doing this one a little differently. It's evolving a little differently and looking at different ways that I might publish it. Being a New York therapist, I'm still thinking about one of the traditional roots, even though I can think about all the reasons not to. So I will definitely keep you in the loop about it. But it's gonna be, it's gonna be there. It's well, gonna we'll, we'll want to let people know when uh, the resistance paradox is uh, is published and, and ready to go. Yeah. And if they if they come, you know, if they sign up at my website, they'll get Good. updates. And I'll be giving updates along the way and things that I'm learning because it's been just such a fun process. Yeah, and I'm learning so much along the way. So I don't want people to have to wait for the whole book to come out. I want to share some of the really cool things that I'm learning. Love as I'm you know. love it. Uh, why don't we do that now? Where can they sign up for these updates? Where can people learn a little bit more, maybe get some information to potentially work with Dr. K? Uh, okay, where should so, we send them? Okay, my website, it's uh, Dr. Kaslow, K-A-Z-L-O-W.com. There's a contact sheet there. I would love to hear what people were thinking about what we were talking about today. So they can, and I also set a certain amount of time each week to meet with people that might want to work with me, that want to look at if there's something deeper going on that they can work on. It, really just for people who are serious and really want to play big. Yeah. But I do set that time aside and I'm happy. It's fun for me and really exciting to uncover like, oh yeah, that's really what's going on. And then people can see if it's a fit to work further. I do events, I do masterminds, I do private one-on-one uh, work with people. And they can join me on social media. They can go to Facebook, um, Dr. Fern Castle, they can Clubhouse. I am loving Clubhouse. Nice. Um, I see you're on there a little bit. 
but I'm loving Clubhouse. I do a room every Wednesday morning. Do you? No kidding. Eastern, Eastern time, five to 10. And we talk about all things entrepreneur, high achiever, peak performance. Uh, I'd love to have you and any of our listeners come in because then I can really, we dig deep. Yeah. We answer questions. We really look at what's on people's mind. But the best way to know about all of it, because I share where, where, what I'm doing on Clubhouse. I share the notes from Clubhouse. I share all kinds of things, media appearances that I have. Just go and join me at my website. You go to the, there's a contact form, but there's also a sign up form on the homepage for signing up on my list. But love if they it. want to have any private time, reach out and I'd be happy to meet with them. Love it. Love it. Dr. K, thank you for uh, just sharing so authentically and uh, and really giving your heart today. It's fantastic to meet you and congratulations on all your success. I love what you're doing. I love how you're helping people and can't wait to see your book come out. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. I'm really excited to share with, uh, with your audience and to get to know you. Thank Same. you. Same.